Welcome to Women on the Line, a national feminist current affairs program produced by women and gender diverse people at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne on the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. I'm Priya Kunjan. This week on Women on the Line, we're diving into a discussion about gender identity and self-representation for trans and gender diverse people. In today's episode, Dr. Brooke Brady and Shoshana Rosenberg join me to discuss these issues within the context of a research project they're currently undertaking called the Dynamic Gender Hotline. The hotline, voiced by Zaya Barroso, invites trans and gender diverse people to leave an anonymous voicemail sharing personal stories about their experiences of gender. The research team is investigating how gender is experienced differently across time by people of a range of different ages and identities. This research provides a powerful corrective to static and sensationalized representations of trans and gender diverse people, instead focusing on the richness of everyday experiences of gender in our community. Dr. Brooke Brady is a research fellow at the University of New South Wales in the School of Psychology and UNSW Aging Futures Institute. And Shoshana Rosenberg is an independent researcher currently working at the University of New South Wales. Before we go into discussing the project and some of the sort of big issues that you're dealing with around aging and gender, experiences of gender across the life course, could you both self-introduce in a little more detail? Shoshana, I'll ask you to go first. Sure. Um, yes, so I'm Shoshana Rosenberg. I'm an independent researcher, so I'm working at UNSW, but I'm kind of an academic gun for hire. I do a lot of work in and around transgender health and just looking at sort of like gender and sexuality sort of more broadly as part of my overarching research career, if you could call it that. I'm Dr. Brooke Brady. I'm a research fellow at UNSW in both the Aging Futures Institute and the School of Psychology. My background involves a few things, but overarching all of the stuff I'm interested in is this idea of life course aging and that all of the experiences we have from birth to the end of life influence us in really interesting and important ways. And one field that I'm applying that to is an understanding of complex gender experiences and how they're not static over time. In fact, they can change daily. Um, they can change on much longer timescales as well. So there's really a wealth of questions to be asked, and we're really excited to be tackling just a few of those in this project. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I saw the project, I was really excited by the scope. I do plan on calling in myself, potentially. Yes. If I feel like I have something useful to contribute. But then again, what you're asking for is really just to get this broad scope of people in the community and their experiences over time. So I guess everyone's is relevant. I've asked you on to talk about this research study that you're conducting called the Dynamic Gender Hotline, and this explores trans and gender diverse people's experiences of gender across the lifespan. So could we begin by talking a bit about why you think a lifespan approach to looking at experiences of gender is so important and also the significance of age inclusivity? Brooke, did you want to kick us off? Yeah, for sure. So again, this this speaks to that point that I don't think that we exist in silos of right this moment and that those silos are, are static. I think that our experiences really shape us and that we can shape our future experiences in turn. So a lifespan approach, I guess, allows us to look at how people are changing over time, how the things that we've experienced in the past shape the way that we are in the future. 
And so I think it's really important for us to consider people's experiences at different ages. And unfortunately, a lot of the research that happens, including in the trans and gender diverse space, really only looks at the experiences of younger people. And I think those experiences are really important. But I also think that our value as people doesn't change over the life course and that there are really important questions that need to be asked about what happens to us over time? What happens to us at different stages in the life course, in different developmental periods, menopause, andropause, for, for instance, might shape the way that we experience ourselves and our gender, perhaps. So let's think about those things. Yeah, I mean, and I, I guess I would add to that, you know, I'm, I don't want to be grim about it, but the reality is that we've reached a point where enough trans people have managed to survive and get older and we've finally gotten to a point a little bit at least in terms of how at least Australian society is kind of working where you can speak of these things openly you can address these things and yeah of course in some ways younger trans people have become sort of unfortunately I would actually say canaries in a coal mine partly because their lives their access to transitioning and so on have become so hyper politicized but the reality is that yes there are issues across the lifespan and and we know that older trans people have vastly different experiences both because they are older and what that sort of intersection of transness and age does but also because you know if you're talking to someone who is trans and they've been out since the 90s since the 80s since the 70s they will have had a radically different sort of experience of navigating the world, radically different experience of the sort of political contexts that they've had to sort of negotiate and live through and at least attempt to like survive or thrive through. And I think that that's a really, that's a really valuable thing. You know, I mean, I'm a trans person in their thirties and as far as I'm concerned, like I'm a baby, you know, there might be people who meet me and think that like I'm a, I'm an older trans person, but to me, I think that that's, part of the whole thing, right? It's like, if you think of trans people as people aged 12 to 21, you're really missing a massive part of the picture. Yeah, definitely. And I think there's, you know, been this privileging of younger people's experiences in what we kind of capture. And there's so much focus on the coming out narrative rather than the you know, living while being trans narrative, if that makes sense, you know, thinking about Mm -hmm. as people age, how do people move through the world and experience their gender? And this is something that I'm really interested in as a non-binary trans person myself, in terms of explorations of gender identity that also recognize the possibility for fluidity and change rather than considering gender identity as something which is, you know, quite neatly fixed either at birth or when a person quote unquote rectifies it via a binary Mm -hmm. transition. And of course, this fluidity doesn't tend to get captured very well in a lot of mainstream discussions about gender diversity. And I was hoping that maybe we could unpack how the project approaches some of these complexities as well. So two things. I mean, first first of all, it's probably good to just address the fact that it is a hotline. And part of the reason why we did that is because it's one of those things that people have to maybe, people sometimes have to sit with in order to be able to sort of articulate because even as trans people, we get fed this sort of narrative that you went insert number of years into your like adolescence or adulthood denying or voiding or not understanding your gender. And then suddenly you understand your gender, you've aligned with it medically or however, which way, and like off you go. And now it's kind of set again. 
And I feel like that's, um, again, that's missing a big part of the picture that we're really interested in capturing. And I think that a lot of the time, it's something that is even hard, again, for trans people to talk about because there is such a social pressure, political pressure to assert and solidify your identity in in whichever kind of way it is. You know, there is such a fear of gender fluidity there is such a you know to quote mark latham like you know there is such a fear of the idea that literally not only is it not static but it's something that we engage with actively fluidly every single day and that's kind of part of what we're trying to sort of unpack with this project and why we've made this anonymous kind of way of of doing data collection because it can even for people again who've been out for years and i would argue that perhaps even for people who have been out for longer it might even be harder to discuss well, you know, I've been out, you know, for me, it's like I've been out as a trans woman for like better part of a decade now. And still sometimes trying to explain to people actually the nuances and the day-to-day sort of experiences around fluidity and how my butchness plays into it and all that kind of stuff is complex and hard to actually express. So that's kind of what we're trying to dig into and what we're hoping that people will contribute towards. Totally. And I mean, two things to add or expand on there is that I firmly believe and I think everybody on the team that that is is doing this fantastic project believe that gender is actually dynamic for everybody it's not just for trans folk it's not just for non-binary folk or otherwise gender diverse people it's really for everybody especially if we're talking about gender expression let's say another thing is that Priya I mean you're right there is often a focus on these coming out stories that are obviously life-defining moments for many people. But the hotline, we really want those small those small moments too. Like if, if someone wants to just call and chat on the hotline about, hey, I'm feeling this way today and this is how it's different from yesterday, all the same, or, you know, last week, awesome. I really want to hear those stories about small, short timescale changes because I think they're important and I don't think that we really talk about them very often. Narrowing down to the everyday I thought was a really beautiful part of the project and I was thinking if we can turn to some of the trickier issues around the way that trans people are represented and kind of targeted in media narratives and in the academic community in a small segment of the academic community. Considering this kind of toxic fixation on trans people's bodies and movements, I was wondering if you could unpack some of the importance of trans self-determined research and also some of the processes of community engagement that you've been involved in when you developed the hotline and also maybe how the research will be used in service of the community. I mean, I will say that actually it was a brilliant idea that was entirely spurred by um, Amrita Heppi's work that she's been doing for the last two or three years. She's been doing like all sorts of amazing stuff, like getting people to call in and make a song dedication to someone on a mobile phone. And then, you know, she's just been playing it. So like, I'm expanding on it. I just thought I'd apply it in that academic context. To go back to your kind of original question, Priya, I think we're seeing kind of at this point, the results of what happens when a community goes from being completely ignored to having the overwhelming majority of the knowledge that's been produced about it be by people who do not have that kind of lived experience, which is why 
we've arrived at a point where globally transness is still sort of treated as, as an illness. It's still sort of treated as a condition that needs to be fixed. It's viewed within these kind of medical realms. It's viewed through these like binary and static kind of models. And I think that that's, you know, something that I've been very privileged in doing some work to sort of counteract in a variety of ways. Like this is one of now few research projects that I've been involved in where it's been around a 50-50 to more than 50% trans people kind of split essentially. And it's one of those things where it's both incredibly shocking and incredibly unsurprising when you look at sort of how valuable what comes out of these kind of studies that are trans-led, that are not just consulted upon, but actually are like enacted by trans people kind of produce, you know, like not just in terms of the depth of data, which I would say is absolutely part of it, because there is much to be said about how much more comfortable trans people generally are likely to be participating in projects that are trans-led. But even I would say in actually the experience that people have in participating in these kind of studies, I published a paper, I think it came out last year, where I actually went back and spoke to some people that I had interviewed as part of my master's project. And I spoke to them about their experience of being interviewed about trans stuff as a trans person by a trans person. And, you know, there, there, were, there were a bunch of really, really fantastic things that came out of it. But two of the sort of main ones were, first of all, that comfort that sense of, okay, actually, like you have a dog in the race, you have skin in the game in some way. And that assures me and also assures me that you kind of won't dehumanize my experience. But then also this thing of, you know, we are a heavily researched community and 99.999% of the time, if you're a trans person participating in what is obviously a study that is run by a bunch of cis people, You will not get follow-up. You will not know what happens to your daughter. You cannot trust that the papers that come out of it will be respectful and truly representative of your lived experience. Not only do you have no guarantee of that, but we know, in fact, that that often is the case. And so much of it is because those people have no skin in the game, and that means that they can't think as richly or deeply or critically about those kind of more important aspects of lived experience. And so again, you know, I've been very lucky that in this project in particular, it's again been like a really good split of cis and trans researchers. I think everyone has a contribution to be made and you can see the difference. You can feel the difference in how the recruitment is phrased, how people are reacting to it. The fact that we had an amazing trans person do all the voiceover work for us in the hotline, you know, all these kinds of things that I think for myself, speaking personally, if I had come across something like this 10 years ago, my mind would have been blown because it just wasn't there. It wasn't in the playing field. It was trans research was done by cis people on trans people in clinics. End of story. And Brooke, did you want to jump on that? Only to say that I really agree with everything that Shosha said. I mean, I am a cisgendered researcher and I I see my role in this as trying to take my privilege, trying to get funding for important work and then really working with trans researchers to make it happen. And not just trans researchers. I think it's important to say that we've got a really fantastic team of people coming from different backgrounds, applying themselves to this, which is, I guess, what Shosh was getting at and that everybody has their place. We've got musicians, we've got artists, we've got legal minds, psychologists, community advisors and so on. I think that not only are we trying to 
do really great empowering research that is trans-led. We're also trying to make sure that it is informed by lots of different kind of worldviews. Yeah, definitely. And also it's just rigorous as well, you know, to be able to have that community participation, both at the level of the research team, but also community stakeholder engagement too, because there is so much that does come out about our community that is just so lacking in rigor or evidence, but is quite easy to soundbite and take away. Light. 
woman on the line. <laughs> You're listening to Women on the Line on your local community radio station. You just heard the track Act of God by Altar Boy, a queer electro-pop band from Perth. I encourage listeners to look up the beautifully shot video too. Three members of the band are deaf and all songs are performed in Auslan or Australian Sign Language. Now back to my conversation with Brooke and Shoshana about the Dynamic Gender Hotline. I was wondering if we could talk to some of the mental health links of this project, because I know there's an option for hotline callers to have their voicemail included in a public artwork for the 2022 Big Anxiety Festival, which aims to reimagine mental health care for the 21st century. And I thought it'd be interesting to get your thoughts on the significance of gender testimony with respect to mental health, particularly considering that the trans community does disproportionately experience poorer mental health outcomes and suicide risk. Brooke, I might go to you first on this one. I I mean, I want to acknowledge Professor Jill Bennett, who's a part of our research team on this project and is also the director of the Big Anxiety Festival. And Jill, from the outset, in early discussions about this project, really wanted to put her money where her mouth was (laughs) and amplify what comes from this project and reimagine it early next year in consultation with trans partners to help spread the word about gendered experiences that aren't necessarily harmful to mental health. In fact, what we really want and what we really want to normalise are experiences of gender that aren't problematic, that aren't damaging, that actually are empowering. This idea that gender can be euphoric (laughs) and especially if you're a trans person coming to a spot in gender that feels more comfy for you. Those are the kinds of experiences that we hope in part will come from the project, that we hope will be able to really promote to a wider public audience. So try and remove some of that stigma that being trans is associated all the time with poor mental health. I think that the stigma as a result of being trans in the world is responsible for the poor mental health. It's not the identity itself. So I think we'll be able to do some really interesting stuff for the Big Anxiety Festival. I think you really nailed it that, you know, a lot of the time, I, and I should say I'm an ex-mental health worker as well. So I did sort of on the ground work for about six years working with people experiencing mental illness. And yeah, you know, a lot of the time when we talk about trans people, mental health immediately comes up. And when I say mental health, I actually mean mental illness. And there is something to be said about turning that around and actually asking like, where is this coming from? Is this external or internal to the trans experience? And speaking at this point, I can honestly say not just from my experience, but from the experience of the at least a couple of thousands of data points that I have from the various studies that I've run with trans communities, both qualitative and quantitative. It's very obvious that the overwhelming majority of our issues with mental health come from external stigma, come from denial of healthcare come from transphobia and cisgenderism, both in the medical system and in the broader kind of society and friends and family and the world and the person who yells at you from a car or whatever, you know? I think there's been enough stuff done, both in research like academia and in art that explores the suffering of trans people. And some of it is fantastic. And some of it, um, I hope, gets buried in a hole. And it's definitely 
we're seeing this rise and uh, I think we are hoping to, you know, kind of harness ourselves to this rise in talking about the euphoric aspects, the ways in which not only are trans people resilient, because resilience implies that you're still like fighting against something, you're still bucking against something, but not only are we resilient, but we are like self-manufacturers and community collective manufacturers of incredibly good well-being, incredibly good states of being and states of being at, at peace with oneself, at peace with others, at peace with the world. And that's sort of part of the drive here. And that's partly why we're asking for these experiences too, because so much of the euphoria, so much of the positive stuff lies in those smaller details, lies in those smaller experiences of having full control of your gender, having like a full and fulfilling relationship with your gender. That's a beautiful way to put it, because I think so many of those experiences yet yeah, do happen in the everyday. You know, for example, when you're around other trans people or around people that affirm your gender identity in a way that's not explicit, but just being able to have that implicit comfort of knowing that you are recognized the way you want to be recognized and the way that you are. I guess before we wrap up, I wanted to ask if either of you had anything else you wanted to add before I ask you about where we can find out about the study in your own work. I would really just love to add that, you know, you may be listening thinking, I don't have a really eventful story to share, or I don't have something kind of big and interesting and groundbreaking, but please still call us. It could be as simple as I woke up this morning, I felt like expressing myself in this way. And so I put on these shoes instead of these shoes. And now I feel fantastic. That is so good. Please, please call. You can also call more than once. So tell us about your shoes today and tomorrow and the next day if you want to. Yeah. And I kind of second that. I mean, Priya, you really early in the interview, you kind of said, oh, I'm thinking about calling, but I don't really know if I have anything to contribute. And I think that that's, it brings an interesting point, which is that as trans people, we're always forced to strive towards excellence in some way and to strive towards uniquity and being special and having some magical experience. And like Brooke said, it's like, actually, I would just love to hear from like butch trans women who just like, that's just their vibe and that's what they do. And just tell us about that process, whatever it is. We're not looking for some like fantastical, magical, mythical trans person stories. We're actually looking for those small, interesting kind of bits because that is where the magic is, even if it doesn't feel that way because of the kind of narratives that we've had foisted on us as trans people. You're absolutely right. When so much of the public focus on the trans community is about these exceptional moments, either positive or, you know, negative perceptions of exceptionalism. We miss the beautiful, rich, mundane parts of our lives that are so important. That's the kind of thing that I personally would really love to see represented for a younger generation of trans and gender diverse people, just being able to see us live in all of our messiness and see us live well. Just to wrap up, where can listeners find out more about the study, including how to participate if they're eligible, and where can they find out more about some of your own research or work? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, either the dynamicgenderhotline.com, or you can just straight up ring 1-800-952-552 and get all the info that you like with um, Zaya's beautiful, beautiful voice. And as far as 
my personal stuff. If you just go to shoshanabrosenberg.com, you can get most of my academic stuff, my weird music things that I do. I don't know. It's all, it's very hodgepodge, very random. But if you feel like having an exploration, enjoy, enjoy. <laughs> yes, we have a website. We've got a really <laughs> cute website. If you're considering calling, please check that out. It's got all the info you need to know. And once you call, the consent process is really beautifully laid out by Zaya. So you can make a choice about whether to participate in the Big Anxiety Festival or not. You can also make a choice about whether you want your own voice to be used or whether you'd like a voice actor to reenact what you've shared, for instance. So lots of information on our website. Please, please check it out. In terms of personal research, you could probably chuck my name, Dr. Brooke Brady, into Google, and I'm sure my university profile will come up. And there's lots of great work happening in this space in the next year or two. So I hope that we can share far and wide. Today's episode featured a conversation with Dr. Brooke Brady and Shoshana Rosenberg about the Dynamic Gender Hotline, a research project collecting trans and gender diverse people's experiences of gender over time through an anonymous voicemail. Find out more at the dynamicgenderhotline.com. That's all we've got time for today on Women on the Line. Thank you so much for listening. Women on the Line is produced and presented by women and gender diverse people in the studios of 3CR Community Radio on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations. Women on the Line is broadcast nationally via the Community Radio Network and is made possible with funding support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The theme music for the show is by Ripley Kavara. Women on the Line programs can be downloaded at www.3cr.org.au forward slash women on the line. I'm Priya Kunjan and tune into Women on the Line next week on your local community radio station. We'll catch you then. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.